I think the pursuing of excellence and pursuing of full potential, as much as it is a selfish endeavor, I think the byproduct is inspiring people around you as well to chase it too. If you're never taking any responsibility, then you can't respond and change anything. Whereas if you go, oh, you know what? I should have played a bit differently so I didn't get penalized for that. I should have trained a bit harder and not blamed the wind on the result. Once you start taking that complete responsibility, then you have the ability to respond to your life. Welcome to the Creative Grid, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who are hungry to have more impact, make more money, and become successful in every area of life. I'm your host, Nelson, and your journey to mastering life and business begins in three, two, one. You ready, bro? I'm ready to go, my man. Let's Good to be here. get it. Let's do it. <laughs> I am extremely excited about this episode the guest today and myself met about four to five months ago, randomly on a plane. And I was like, wait, I've seen you before. And it was, he's like, yeah, potentially. And I'm like, do you do podcasts? He was like, I do. I'm like, cool. I, I know you. I've seen you online. And it turns out I'm like, hey, do, yeah, we're just chatting a little bit. And he's like, I'm actually sitting down next to you. I'm like, what are the freaking odds? So it turned out to be, from, it went from a really boring flight to just talking podcasts nonstop. Nothing I love more than talking about podcasting. Um, we had a beer as well on the plane. It was, it was awesome, man. And finally, I got to pay back that beer by getting you a nice coffee here in Kira. Super excited about this episode, fam. So today's guest is an ex-pro surfer. He is the founder of the Good Human Factory and the host of the Good Humans podcast. Please welcome the legend, Mr. Cooper Chapman. My man, thank you for having me. What a beautiful intro. And yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? That story of how we met walking down the plane. I'm pretty sure there was actually meant to be somebody sitting in between us, but because when we were ch chatting, I was like, here, you sit on the window and we sat next to each other. And yeah, I remember I was super tired on that flight. I think you were as well. We'd both sort of do, I mean, you're full of energy always, but I was, um, had a long day and I was getting ready to just sort of switch off on the plane. And then you ran into me and I was just like, I just love talking about podcasts. It's quite rare that you get to have really in-depth conversations about certain topics and yeah. One of them is podcasting. It's something I've been doing for quite a few years. And unless you're really deep into it and like years into it, you don't know that much about it. And you obviously know a lot. So we had a great flight and we're like, we've got to catch up. I'd love to see your studio and you see mine. And here we are. It's taken us a few months, but it's great to be here. Yeah, man. I'm so pumped. Um, and, and yeah, it's just one of those things that I love podcasting so much. And obviously that, that's what we do for our clients. So we're super involved in, in our day to day, but meeting someone else that is also doing it at a very high level, you'll have obviously it extremely incredible results with your podcast, which we'll dive a little bit into as well. But yeah, just having a conversation with someone that is so passionate about the craft of mm. podcasting made my day. So I'm pretty stoked that, and, and I was telling, I was telling my assistant that was traveling that day with me, I, I just kept thinking, what are the freaking odds that we end up at the right time, at the right plane, you know, the right flight next to each other. It, life works in very 
strange ways strange. when you're pursuing the things that you love. Like I couldn't stop thinking about that. And and that happens so often to me and probably to you too. Like random little There's No coincidences. Things. Exactly. I'm going to give you a book I just finished reading called The Celestine Prophecy and it talks oh, about cool. that. It's incredible that there's not really any coincidences in life, but... Yeah. Yeah, it, it was wild. And I'm pretty sure I was just finishing editing a podcast and I had a bunch of clips on my phone. So I was like, hey, give me some feedback. And yeah. I changed a bunch of stuff because of your feedback. So yeah, yeah I'm just always love meeting people who are passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I'm going to dive straight into it. What does it mean to be a good human? Oh, what does it mean to be a good human? Wow. That's a question that I finish all of my podcasts with. So it's nice to get it thrown back at me. Um, to me right now, I think it changes quite often what the answer to this question will be for me. But for me, what it means to be a good human is taking responsibility for your own life so that way you can show up best for the people around you. And for me, what that means is just actually, yeah, understanding that we have to take care of ourselves when it comes to our mental health, our physical health, emotional, spiritual health. Nobody else can take care of it for us. So we have to show up for ourselves every single day. And that means we're going to show up for the people around us. So that's what I think a good human is. Someone who takes care of themselves. So then they can show up the best for the people around them as well. I love that definition that you have of being a good human. Because when I think about it, for me, a summary of what it, it is to be a good human is doing, really trying your best every day, giving everything you've got for something that goes beyond you. Mm. Everything I do is one side of it, yes, is to discover how great I can be in this lifetime, mm. what kind of achievements I can have, how far I can go, mm. if I can ascend to the highest level of my human potential, but something more powerful than me is doing it for someone else. Mm. And I do this for all my team, for my family, for my friends around me. And the more I do life as well, the more I realize that it always is, it's always, everything is, is, is beyond you. Everything is has to have a deeper purpose than mm. you're satisfying your own needs or your own personal goals. Yeah. Because in the end, we're also dust, right? Like we're, we're going to leave behind all these cameras, all the, this money, all this stuff is just going to stay here. So what are you doing it for? That's what I mean. I love that you said the idea of full potential because that's what I always say to people is my biggest fear, not to reach my full potential because I think the one of the worst things in life is regret and knowing that you could have not done more and not doing it. And as well, like this pursuing of excellence and pursuing of full potential quite often is only going to bring the people up around you. So like my life philosophy that I kind of came up with a few years ago when I was challenged by some psychologists and coaches at a big um, Olympics training camp that I did for surfing, they're like, you got to find your philosophy. And I took the um, exercise really seriously. And what I landed on was through hard work, dedication and passion, being a positive influence on my peers and younger generations. So what does that mean? It means just working hard, being dedicated and being passionate about whatever I do. And in turn, it's going to probably inspire the people around me and hopefully younger generations as well. So that pursuance of excellence, pursuing of excellence, as much as it is a selfish endeavor, I think the byproduct is inspiring people around you as well to chase it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people as well, usually with this pursuit of excellence, especially when you're doing your passion, usually there's certain things that come with it 
just as a result of it, of you trying to be great, right? Like one of those things, for example, is making a ton of money. If you're really good at what you do and, and you're having an impact in the world. And I remember, you know, like always growing up with that belief that society installs in you, like, hey, if you're trying to make more money, that's bad, that makes you bad and all these things. And certainly listen to this guy called Christo on a workshop. I don't know if you have seen him online, but he is one, one of the big mentors I, I had in terms of growing a video production business and all this stuff. And on that workshop that he came to Australia, he said he was kind of talking people through, you know, that money belief. And he just said money is a direct correlation of how much impact you have in the world. Mm. And that's too good with me. And it, it goes down to as well, taking it back to that, trying to be great. The greater you are, that means that, that means the impact around you and for people in your circle and in your society, in your country and all these things just goes up too. Absolutely. It's almost like a, 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 a direct correlation of it. So you should try to be great, not only for you, but mainly for people around you. Mm. If you really want to help people, you should try to push your limits and discover, you know, what's try to reach the human potential that in the end is probably always going to be a, a question, right? No, Especially for love it. Very well high put. achievers. What made you go from being a pro surfer to a podcaster? Oh, I mean, I guess I'll just talk about the mental health stuff that I do because that'll explain where the podcast came from. But See, I used to be a professional surfer. I traveled the world for oh, from finishing high school, did quite well in my junior career, got second in the Australian Junior Series two years in a row, got to compete on the World Qualifying Series and did that from 18 till 28 really and had an extraordinary life and lived, yeah, a pretty special time. But along that journey, I also had a few ups and downs with my mental health. I'd had some family history of mental illness. I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide. My dad struggled quite a bit throughout my teen years with a bit of alcoholism, depression, anxiety. So I was always very aware maybe mental health might be a challenge in my life. So I was always very curious, what little things can I pick up along my journey that might help me if I do get to this point of struggle? And then I got to about my early 20s and I went from a very successful Australian surfer to kind of doing okay, but a bit of the middle of the pack once I got onto the international scene. And because I based so much of my self-worth, my whole identity was Cooper the Pro Surfer. All of my life was really based on external validation, what my sponsors thought of me, what my family thought of me, what my friends thought of me. I really thought it was all anchored in my results in surf comps, which was okay when I was doing quite well. But then I got to the international tour. I went from sort of top three juniors in Australia to about 100 in the world in the international scene um, in opens, and my mental health started to decline. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? So I spoke to my sports psychologist and told him that I was struggling, and he was like, what's going on? I was like, oh, I'm embarrassed to go to my local beach. I feel like people are judging me. Like, I just don't feel like I'm, yeah, doing that well. And he's like, it's so common to feel the way you do. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, so many of us base our self-worth, base our identity on external validation, on what other people think of us, on our career, on our achievements. And if we're not doing well, which happens to all of us throughout our career, we go through down times, then you think you're a bad person and you think you're not a good human. And I was like, well, what else can I do then? And he said, what are your values, mate? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, like, what are your values? And I was like, oh, I guess like kindness, respect, honesty, all these ones that we kind of get told by our parents when we're younger. And he said, yeah, but how well do you actually live to those values? 
And that was like getting hit by a train. I was like this kind of egotistical 21-year-old, a bit lost with the world, trying to do stuff to get external validation that I was like, I don't really know. So that sent me on a bit of a path through my 20s to understand a bit more about my own mental health, to understand what my values were. And I had no intention of starting a business around mental health at all. But then when I was 24 or maybe 25, I was at home uh, in Sydney where I grew up and my younger sister, I've got four, three sisters, sorry, my younger sister was in her last year of high school and she came home one day, we're sitting around the dinner table and she lets us know that one of the boys in her year, uh, last year of high school, took his own life. And I was just like, isn't that just so tragic? Young people taking their own life is just the worst thing ever in my mind. And because I'd had family history of mental illness, I was like, well, I, I kind of understand. But then I looked up some stats and went, wow, this is a big problem we really have here with mental illness, with suicide what are we doing about it? And then I just thought back to my school times. There wasn't really that much education, especially nothing that really connected with me. And I looked up some stats and then kind of life went on. Two weeks later, we're sitting around the dinner table, exact same situation, mum, dad, three sisters. And Sophia, my younger sister says, another boy in a year had taken his life. And that was when I was like, you know what? I can't just sit around and do nothing about this. Like I've learned some really valuable things along my journey from speaking to incredible experts in different fields throughout my surf career to reading a lot of books because of my own fear of mental illness. And I developed a pretty good sort of action plan for my own mental health. And my dad was like, oh, like you're obviously pretty upset about the, your sister losing two friends. What are you going to do about it? I didn't even say that. I was like, I want to do something about it. And he was like, maybe you can go and speak to some kids at your old school about what you've learned. Like you're a pretty good public speaker. You've run a few surf camps with young kids and all the parents say that you're really good at communicating with them. Maybe you can go and speak to school a bit to some athletes about mental health. I was like, okay, great. So I went to my old school, Narrabeen Sports High, spoke to one of the old teachers who's a good friend of mine, Woody, told him what I want to do. And he's like, mate, you're such a good human for wanting to come and do that for the kids. And then we got talking and he's like, go um, to Hawaii. I was just about to leave for Hawaii for a month for some surf events. And he's like, go to Hawaii, put together a bit of a PowerPoint presentation and in January, uh, in term one next year, come and present to the kids. Okay, great. So I go make a really terrible presentation. He's actually the one who was, I was like, what should I call it? And he's like, call it the good human factory. Like you're such a good human for wanting to do this. People come to your workshops. They come, they leave a bit better. It's like coming to the good human factory. I was like, all right, sweet. So that's where the name came from. Anyway, so then I come back in like Feb the next year, do this ter terrible presentation, but I got to start. And then at that time I was still juggling like a professional surf career, but I didn't have a sponsor. So I was working like 40 to 50 hours a week as a tradie doing landscaping and building. So I didn't have much time at all to get this project off the ground. So that kind of went on for the first year like that. I think I did like two talks at schools still just like basically an idea. And then 2020 came around, COVID hits, and I was like, all right, I've got some opportunity here to really put some time and effort into this good human factory thing. All my surf comps are cancelled. The tradie life has kind of slowed down a little bit and the JobKeeper payments started coming in for um, Australian citizens because of COVID. And my accountant was like, well, your surf comps cancelled. You qualify for this 750 a week. Why don't you spend this three months building the good human factory and see what you can make of it? And I was like, okay. So that was when the podcast came about, Good Humans. I was like, okay, what else can I do other than these workshops, which I obviously can't do while there's COVID happening. I can't go into schools or businesses. Let's do a podcast. So I have access to such an interesting group of people, whether it be through my surfing career, whether it be just through my wild network, through my sister and her husband, who's a big DJ. There's, there's just so many people that I've got to know along my journey that are so insightful. And I know I've learned so many of my lessons through listening to other people's stories, through podcasts. 
And yeah, I just started and was like, you know what, I'll have a chat to some people on my podcast. And that was back in 2020 and put out over 300 episodes since then and been on quite the journey. Like started, I was with Podcast One, which is now Listener for my first 20 episodes, um, which was cool to learn a bit about the industry, to have a producer. And then the show wasn't growing. So I mean, they didn't drop me. I actually asked to leave because I wanted to go to more frequent episodes weekly and they said they can't facilitate that. So I was like, all right, I'll go out on my own. So, yeah, for the last oh, 100 and, or 250 episodes, I've edited and done everything myself. So that's um, that's the podcast journey and kind of a bit of the origin of the Good Human Factory and how I went from, yeah, pro surfing and now this is my full-time gig doing keynote speaking, selling merch and, um, yeah, building communities around taking care of their mental health. That's beautiful, man. And um, I'm very good to get into some of the details of your podcast because it really shows that there is no excuse to not make a podcast, you know, from some of the things that we were talking about. But I'm curious, at what point in your surfing pro surfer career, you were like, okay, I, I clearly need to switch. I need to pivot to something else. Why, why do you stop? I mean, it was a bit of a slow burn. So I mentioned briefly before when I was, um, I think I was 23, I lost my major sponsor and went from getting paid like $50,000 a year for my surfing so I could use that money to travel the world and compete to nothing. So that was when I kind of like had to make the decision, okay, do I go get a job, make money and then use it for my surf career or do I get a job and just give up the surfing. So I spent two years doing a trade and doing that. And I still really enjoyed it. I looked at it like, I mean, I'm still traveling the world surfing. Like I'm doing what most people would kill to do. So there was like a slow burn of like, "Mm, how much longer can I keep this up? It's very hard to make it if you're doing 40 hours a week on the tools and everyone else is surfing for 40 hours a week. So it made it a lot more difficult probably to make it. So that kind of went on for two, three years. And I'd always had in the back of my mind, like, there's got to be something after surfing. Surfing's like maybe 20 to 30 if you're lucky. I need something else. So I was always very forward thinking, curious, what else can I do along my journey and was always sort of upskilling and that's why I was doing my trade work. That's why I was doing different little things as surf coaching and then it was never an intention to turn the Good Human Factory into a business but once I started to do a few workshops and then started to hear about in the industry how much you could get paid for public speaking, I started to be like, oh, maybe I can – turn this into a business at first I almost thought I'll turn it into a charity but I was like "Mm, I don't know if it's a it was just like for a charity you have to have like a board of directors you have to do reporting every quarter there's so much work that goes into that and I got some advice from a few people and they're like why don't you just like keep it as a business and then you don't put a ceiling of what you can earn doesn't matter you can still make just as much impact like there's no harm in making money and doing good in the world so Yeah, it got to the point where COVID hit where I was like, oh, I'm probably giving it up now, but I kept surfing and then I got like the last spot into the um, International Challenger Series in 2021 and I kind of made the decision in my head then. I was like, you know what, this is my last trip around the world. I, Unless I have the best year of my life and make it, I'm just going to enjoy this trip around the world and this is going to kind of be my last hurrah. And yeah, I just got to enjoy my last sort of round-the-world trip doing surf comps and then knew once I got back from there the business was already building a bit of momentum and then I put three months on hold my whole business to go do this tour and then I was like my business is making me so much more impact in the world it's fulfilling my cup it's making me way more money than I've ever made and yeah it's just like I don't have the pressure of being an athlete anymore so I just kind of lost the competitiveness a bit I think towards the end once I started getting no support from different brands in the industry and not playing victim at all but I was just like you know what do I really love this or do I want to move on to something else? 
Yeah, I love that. And why, why did the sponsor drop you? Because I, I, mean, I can't imagine that, you know, back then that would have been like, holy shit, what am I going to do kind of moment? Well, to be honest, I actually had my best year ever on the challenge, on the qualifying tour. So I'd had like a three-year deal with them from 20 to 23, and I'd been with them for years before. And I kind of had like an okay year, got like probably like set, like 60th on the challenger tour and the top 10 make it onto the world tour. It's very cutthroat. It's kind of basically ranked from like, 30th in the world to 130th in the world are doing this tour and only 30 to 40 make it onto the top tour. So I um, had my best year yet. I got 20th on the tour, 23rd, I think. So I, did, I was like one heat or two heats away from making it. All excited, best year yet. And then I get the email, sorry, budget cuts. We don't think you're going to make it. We've given you three years to get there. You didn't quite get there. You got close, good work, but yeah, we don't see it. So then it went from, and then they were like, hey, we'll put you on a $5,000 deal to be on our regional team. And I was like, well, that's not going to let me get around the world. So I just said, no, thanks. Like, thanks for the times that we had, but I'll try find someone else. And then I just couldn't find anyone else. And yeah, it was hard. That was like a big time in my life where it was a lot of decisions, a lot of victim kind of mindset, yeah. like, oh, that was where these values really became super important. But there was definitely many, many days and nights of just being so against the world. Like, why is this guy getting paid and I'm not? And it took a lot to work out that the world isn't fair and it's about yeah. how you respond to the situation yeah. rather than the situation itself. So, um, yeah, it, it's something that I've learned a lot from that period of my life, realising that businesses have got to get a return on investment, realising that sponsorship and stuff like that um, – yeah, it doesn't last forever and you have to make sure that you're performing to maintain it. So, yeah, it was hard, but, uh, I mean, I'm definitely stronger for it now. And taking ownership. Mm. That's one thing that completely changed my life. If you're struggling with taking ownership, I highly recommend you read Extreme Ownership by Joko. Joko, Mr. Joko Willing, <laughs> one, of the, one of the books that changed completely the way I, I look at life and perceive life. But... The minute you start taking ownership for everything that happens in your life, not not only the bad, but also the good, because mm -hmm. just like bad things happen, and that's where it becomes a challenge because you always want to justify why the bad thing happened. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was his fault. It was her fault. I didn't have to do anything with it, blah, blah, blah. And then you become a victim. So then and if, the way I see it is imagine life is a, is a person, right? And... Life is just giving things to people that are working hard, that have good values, that are having an impact and all this stuff. And suddenly turns around and he hears you complaining about everything, how life is so difficult. I just sit and like, okay, dude, I'm not going to give you anything. I'm, I'm going to take charge of these guys that are focused working, mm -hmm. that are taking ownership about everything. And they're just trying to make the world better and having bigger impact and do good, all this stuff. So yeah, to, for me, it's a, it's, it's a challenge, but if you start doing that and also do it for the good things, because mm -hmm. that's another thing that I've noticed a ton of people don't do. They don't they don't take ownership for the good. They, and, and there's this belief as well of like, you have to be humble. Humble means having a low opinion of yourself, which I was discussing on my latest episode with one of my best mates. So it's kind of like a lot of people start having a low opinion mm -hmm. on themselves because they've been told, oh, it's not good that you celebrate your achievements. It's not good to tell how good you are or something. No, tell the world how good you are about things, you know, because like, then you can have an impact. Then you can help other people mm. by it, right? So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like 
being able to take ownership for both the the bad yeah. and the good they have. I haven't thought of that yeah. from the good side. I, I love that book from Jocko. I, a lot of his stuff is just so good. I love his quote, discipline equals freedom. That another 100%. little book is just so good. But this all just in my mind comes back to responsibility and that's something mm -hmm. that I'm super big on at the moment. I just did a course with this guy, Sadhguru. Have you heard of Sadhguru? Yep, yep, Amazing. Yep. And he talked about responsibility in this beautiful way. And it's a topic that I already speak a lot about in my keynote. My first value that I talk about is taking responsibility. And he describes it like this. He goes, responsibility is just your ability to respond to situations. And what's your ability to respond? If you're on the footy field and you go, oh, the ref did this, or the wind picked up, it was this guy up here. If you're never taking any responsibility, then you can't respond and change anything. Whereas if you go, oh, you know what? I should have played a bit differently so I didn't get penalised for that. Oh, you know what? I should have trained a bit harder and not blamed the wind on the result. Once you start taking that complete responsibility, then you have the ability to respond to your life. Whereas someone else's fault, you actually have no ability to actually respond. So yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm still working on that concept. I only learned these lessons the other day and I'm trying to like work out how to talk in my language and share that message. But hopefully people listening kind of understand that, that our ownership and responsibility just comes back to how well can we respond to situations? Do we get angry and do we go up here when something happens and do we get really sad? It's like that's not being a good ability to respond when you're exactly. riding this roller coaster. It's like the closer we can get our ability and our levels to be like, okay, yep. that's hard. No worries. I'll do something to bring me back to here. Oh, that was tough. No worries. I'll bring myself back to here. So responsibility is about like keeping that wavelength from going like, oh, I'm super angry. I'm super sad. It's like your ability to respond is so jagged. Whereas if you can respond nicely, it's kind of keeps it on that flow in life. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious – from your perspective and your experience, you've been podcasting for a long time, right? How has a podcast benefited your business? Oh, in so many ways. For one, I mean, first and foremost, I think for anyone wanting to start a podcast, the main thing that I think has been great for me is networking. Unbelievable. I've had 137 guests on my podcast now, experts in almost every field, athletes in different fields. I've got an Olympic gold medalist coming to my house a bit later today to record an episode. I had like a breathwork expert last week, I have neuroscientists, doctors, dentists, just all these interesting people that without the podcast, I wouldn't have a reason to send them a message. So networking is probably one of the greatest things. Um, Another thing is just being able to have a platform to share what I want to talk about. And my podcast, I obviously have guest episodes, but I do solo episodes as well. So it's been great to be able to build an audience, which then in turn backs on to my business because I do keynote speaking, I run workshops. So a lot of my workshops come through my podcast and I track all that with my request forms. I say, where did you find us from? And probably like 30% of my work comes through the podcast. So even if the podcast itself isn't making me revenue, which it is now. It took years to. It's coming back in other ways. And then my merchandise that I do, I talk about that in the podcast. So like everything kind of can run through the podcast. But I think the main thing is networking. Um, the second thing, yeah, is having a platform to be able to, it's just a marketing channel really for different stuff, but it's also a place to be able to give free information to people because yeah, you just want to be able to give out free stuff, but then there's all these other benefits that you get, even though the content is actually free for people to hear. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things to be able to monetize successfully a podcast is essentially having a connection to your backend offers. There has to be a direct connection, which in your case is those public speaking events, is the merge, that everything reflects the same entire ecosystem. 
Exactly. So hence, it's going to be pretty easy to monetize. And obviously, there's all the things that you can do, a pay community, you know, courses that are directly related to the things that you normally talk about in the podcast. There's a million things, sponsorships. Yeah. But it, the fastest way to monetize a podcast successfully is basically just having a direct correlation between your backend offers and basically the things that you normally and speak about. And it also is circular for me. For instance, in my workshops... I share little clips from different experts in my podcast to talk about breath work, to talk about mindfulness, to talk about responsibility. And then I say everyone in my workshops, oh yeah, go check out the other episodes. So it kind of like works yeah. back in on itself. So yeah. yeah, the podcast, I just, to be honest, love getting to talk to people. Yeah. It's so special getting to have a face-to-face -face conversation, learn how to look in someone's eyes, actually connect with yeah. them. Because until the podcast, I hadn't really done that. And now I've had 140 chats with really smart people yep. and got to learn their story and it's created so much more empathy in me because I'm like, wow, we are all so different. Yeah. yeah, everyone has completely different journeys, but, and that's how you know you're gonna be a winner in the podcasting space and you are already, right? But you, you're probably gonna get to an even higher level over the next years and it's because you're doing it for the love of it as well. That's mm. what we see across the board. If anyone that, is, has become really successful in the podcasting industry. They just really love having conversations with mm -hmm. people, providing a ton of value to their audiences. And as a byproduct, you're just building that no like trust, which in the end is what people need in order to buy from you. You have your backend offers as well. And, and that's where it also gets pretty hard sometimes to measure it, how much impact the podcast can have for your business of what's the direct revenue, because there's random things like, Say that you have a specific guest that you brought on the podcast that's suddenly presenting you six months down the track, a million dollar deal or something like that. You know, it's it's hard of like, oh, well, how do you quantify that? You mm. And uh, if things will happen as well when you least expect it, the public recognition, the people that are coming to you oh. and saying like, man, I came across your podcast. Yeah, just like you and I met because of that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's so, crazy. Like yeah. I'll give you like a few instances. Like, I got a message this morning from someone going, Hey, I listened to your podcast and saw the clip where you talk, um, where you learned about if you're having a bad day, don't go and buy yourself something, go and do something nice for somebody else when talking about kindness. So the lady wrote that and then she goes, so I was having an average day, but I got myself out of bed and went to the bookstore because I needed to get a book for a friend of mine. And I saw a homeless man was begging the people in the store to buy him a blanket because somebody had stolen his blanket. And I overheard him and said, if you wait five minutes, I'll go and grab you a blanket. And she said, so I went and bought him a blanket, um, a pillow and two large pizzas and a bottle of water and gave it to him. And he was so stoked. And that's directly, that interaction wouldn't have happened if that person didn't listen to one of my podcasts. And then I had another one, like you were saying, the interactions you get in public. So I, last year I did a 12-month sober journey. Having a neuroscientist on my podcast, she explained the negative effects of alcohol. So I was like, all right, I'll take 12 months off. Just use the podcast as an accountability buddy. And I've had hundreds of people say, hey, I took a month off. I took two months off because nice. of that. I literally just went on a friend's podcast, um, this girl, a couple of days ago, and she was like, I'm 10 months into a year journey because of the content I saw you putting out about your sober journey. I was out at the surf at Kira two days ago and some middle-aged dude just paddled up to me. I was like, is he going to try and fight me? Did I drop in on him or something? And he was like, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know, like I love your podcast. I get so much value out of it. I actually took three months off drinking because of your sober journey. So it's like the ripple effect and the positive impact that is had because I just talk into a microphone a few times yeah. a week is crazy. It's, it's and insane. And like that's worth more than, yeah. you know, 
getting paid something for a brand or someone wanting to sponsor it, which is amazing because I only work with brands that I use. So yeah. being able to give my audience a discount on a product that I actually believe in is amazing. So it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool little thing, the podcast world, but it's getting super competitive and it's, um, a lot of work because I do it all myself, but I'm, um, maybe going to move over to you guys one day soon because I need, <laughs> Man, we'll need to free up a bit of time. You are with that. It's so, um, I'm curious, what has been so far the amount of downloads that you've been able to achieve with your podcast and in how many episodes as well? Uh, I think the last I looked was kind of my wrap up for 2023. We did 370,000 downloads in 2023. Um, I think total now there's like 700,000 across the three years. So it's kind of like grown year on year. Um, I think there's like my average download would be between two to 4,000 an episode. I've had a couple like 10 to 12,000 download episodes. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been the journey. I do, I mean, there's so many different like little tactics to get more downloads. Like I have a short episode, which is directed for um, a accountability, meditation and gratitude community I've created. So I do like a short episode each week for that. I did my sober episodes for a year, which were five to 10 minute episodes. And then I have my guest episodes. So I have um, different levels of my show and that's a great way to spike your downloads. But yeah, it's also a way to have a way for me to talk to the audience rather than it just always be a guest on my podcast. And yeah, the both like the, the 1% podcast that I do does just as many downloads as my guest episodes, which makes me realize that it's a pretty core 2000 people who would tune into pretty much every episode. That is awesome because now you know that you have a die hardcore fan yeah. in there that and then like showing up regardless. Yeah, and then like social media, I think we just hit like 13 and a half million TikTok views on Good Humans podcast. Oh, Siri wants to have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> on Good Humans podcast, I think, yeah, there's like over 13 million views on that. So it's crazy the eyeballs that you can get through a podcast if you stay dedicated. But the biggest thing, and we're talking about this before um, we recorded, is most people start and forget that it takes an, a catalog of a couple hundred episodes because now I look back and I'll do 50 to 100 downloads on some of my first episodes still every month. So it's like when you've got 100 of them, there's an extra 10,000 a month because you've got 100 episodes in your catalog. So it takes time to start to really watch your numbers and downloads grow and I feel like so many people give up so early. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right about that. And something that most people don't know is that around 80% of your monthly downloads comes from your back catalog. So that just so shows the power of compounding. And consistency. Exactly the same. Compound people say that compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. That same exact concept applies directly to podcasting. The more you stack content on top of each other, the more downloads you will incre mm -hmm. increase monthly as you build your back catalog. Absolutely. Yeah. Most podcasts will never make it to hundreds of thousands of downloads. So you're 100% at the top 0.5% of podcasts. Why do you think your podcast got there? Why did my podcast get there? I think... For one, just consistency. I, I had my first 20 episodes, my podcast didn't grow at all. I was with a big, I was with podcast one. And then right when they changed to listener was when I left them. Um, but they were fortnightly episodes and they took a bit of creative control. And then once I was like, you know what? I want to go up to weekly episodes. They couldn't facilitate it. I was like, you know what? I'll do it myself. I enjoy having these chats. If I want to see the show grow, I need to be more consistent and do weekly. So that was, um, 
when the show definitely started to get like month on month growth when I took it over and went to weekly. So I think consistency is a really important one. People need to know what time every week your episodes are coming out so they can keep coming back and know that it's there. If it's just sporadic throwing an episode here or there, you're not going to grow. Um, social media is obviously a huge one. Once I started posting little clips at TikTok, so my first 20 episodes with podcast one, we didn't do any video. It was always just audio and an audiogram, which just didn't do that well for content. Once I started filming video on my iPhone and doing clips, I started to see some growth. TikTok was a big part for me when I started to have a few videos go viral with a couple guests that saw definitely some spikes in number, but yeah, it, it's just consistency. But then I went to two episodes a week with my little community episode that saw numbers start going up. But like I said, it's it's consistency and building an audience. I look at it like social media, like watching your followers go up who see your episode every week. I think I've got like 8,000 subscribers on um, Spotify and like 4,000 on Apple. So yeah, it's taken me years to build to that. So it's really important just to not get disheartened at the start. I think for me... I think for me, one of the main reasons was that I was so focused on just getting the networking side of stuff rather than monetizing it. You see so many people come into podcasts going like, how long until I can make make money? And it's like, if you have that mindset at the start, you're never going to make money. It takes so long to build an audience. Like I see friends who have got huge following start a podcast and their podcast doesn't get heaps of listens because people need to learn and trust that you can speak to them in long form content and it's a bit different to short form content. People who go viral with little clips and then make a podcast and can't stay consistent because they don't see the numbers grow at the start. So for me, it's just been consistency and having my my why is so not about making money. My why is to build an audience for my community, to give free information to my community and to speak to incredible people. And the byproduct is hopefully down the line making a bit of money and having some sponsors that align with the vision that I can then push their products and help them get their products to my audience that are going to benefit my audience too. Absolutely. And having that big picture mindset for it and approach is what's going to determine how successful your podcast will be. That's something that we tell every client, you know, things we've seen everything happen, you know, yeah. from a client that jumps in and by the sixth episode, you know, shit is going wild and we're like, Wow, how is this happening? And, you know, there's a few factors that come into play. How trending is the topic? How relevant is the overall arching topic of, of the podcast as well? How good is the, the hosting camera, communication skills, all this stuff. But most people, the reality is that they won't see success until like six to, you know, six months to 12 months assuming that they're posting a minimum of one weekly episode on top of the short form content, right? So, and that's a lot of yeah, work before you get any repayments from yeah, it. So it's exactly. like, yeah, it's trying to do it for the love, I think is so exactly. important at the start. Yeah. And then supercharging everything as well with short form content, like you were saying, that's exactly. And a lot of people are, if they started doing podcasts years ago, they're still doing it the old way. Mm. You know, they're not even doing a video podcast. They're not maximizing the reach that they can get through short form content. They don't know too much of as well about storytelling and how to actually stack the chips in your favor so you can get the best chances of those pieces of content going mm. viral, which in the end is what's going to generate most of the traction these days. They don't understand too much as well how uh, the, the search works on Spotify and Apple Podcasts that is completely different to YouTube, completely different to Instagram, TikTok, all these platforms are completely different. So definitely being a student of the game, mm. it's and, and being uh, making decisions based on data as well. For every cl client we tracked 
everything. Yeah. And you need to be tracking, you know, what's your click-through rate? What's your average view consumption? Retention, you know, yeah. retention on your episodes? Yeah. Is it dropping at the beginning? Because then you probably need to change something. Yeah. Is it dropping a mid-episode? Probably might be a bit too long. Might be, you know, you you have to cut back or make it more interesting halfway. So it's kind of like all these things, but definitely it having sh short form content, being consistent, like you're saying, and making decisions based on data mm. give you higher chances of success. And that's the podcast, thing though, it's yeah. like reaching success is one thing, but then uh, well, the way I do my podcast is a little bit different to a lot of people. And I could probably try and adjust to build numbers, but I see so many people like Steven and um, the diary of the CEO and a lot of content now is like just giving you little teasers to pull you in and just to, for the episode. Whereas the way that I look at it is a bit different. I post usually like a full bit of the podcast, like a clip. I'll cut it little bits of ums and ahs and make it a full story. Mm. And it might be a minute or two minute clip, but it actually gives that story that I think people deserve to hear because it might get 30,000 views on social media, but the podcast is only going to do two to 3,000 listens. So I'm like, I don't want that amazing story to get missed because I'm just trying to entice people in, but not many get to hear it. So it's a bit of a catch 22 trying to make more viral content, but it's also like, oh, but people actually get to hear that really incredible story or bit of information. And then another thing is like equipment. I feel like so many people are like, oh, I can't afford to get going. Like I use iPhones to film all of my stuff. I use a Zoom H3 recorder with two microphones plugged in, two Shure Beta 87As, around like less than $1,000 for my audio setup. I have a couple lights now, which a couple hundred bucks on Amazon, like a thousand bucks. And I've got as good of a setup as I need and I can travel with mine. So I do a lot of mine remotely. I'll literally just take my little bag that's the size of half a briefcase and I can fit my whole studio in there. So I think just starting is like the main thing for people. Like if you think your first episode's amazing in a year, then you waited way too long to start. Absolutely. And your podcast is the perfect example that you don't need top of the line camera gear and all this stuff. So obviously it adds up, it makes you For stand sure. out, it helps with a lot is workflow based kind of thing, but you're doing it from your phone. You yeah. know, like literally there is no excuse to not do it. And I've had episodes where my mics have, I forgot to click record and I've just used the iPhone audio from the video and it's been completely fine. So like yeah. you could literally set up an iPhone of you and your mate having a chat and upload it and it's yeah. like good to go. Like the audio of our iPhones and the quality of um, the video on it, is good enough for content to get started. And then, yeah, if you build your show, then you can maybe upgrade equipment. But, I mean, I've built my show and made decent money through it and still haven't upgraded my equipment. <laughs> yeah. lazy, but I know I need someone like you to come look at my setup and you can give me some ideas on what yeah. I should do because it's actually not that big of a tweaks quite often mm. to improve quality you and just everything. elevate everything. Even, yeah. even the position of the lighting exactly. will completely change the look of the podcast. Yeah. Little things like a camera angle. Oh, look, you're creating a bit of distortion here on the face. Yeah. You just move it a bit more and it literally changes, it changes entirely the feel that you get when watching the podcast yeah. or listening to it. And and little tip and, tips and tricks, for example, if you ever run into that issue again or you want to take the existing audio to the next level, use Adobe Podcast AI. Not sure if you have ever heard of it, but it's a free okay. AI Adobe software that literally you just drop in your audio file and it will spit a high-level production AI based audio for no free. No way. What? And yeah. it just gets rid of the highs and lows and makes it better. Background noise, everything. Oh, I got to do Incredible. that. See, I, for a while I had to use Adobe Audition because for some reason 
my microphone and my iPhone audio would have lag over an hour. It would lag like a quarter of a percent, yeah. but then the mouth doesn't line up. Yeah. So I had to use like Adobe Audition to stretch the oh, audio is a nightmare. But now yeah. for some reason it seems to have gone back and yeah. it's so good now. And, um, on Premiere, I literally just put like my three iPhone clips, my two audio clips, and then just highlight them all and click synchronize audio. They line up. I delete the audio yeah. from the iPhone. I've got perfect audio and high quality footage. So yeah. I'm going to use that though for the because sometimes my audio does get a little bit high and low and people yeah. are loud and laughing. So maybe I will. Yeah, and check and that out. again, it won't work for 100 of the scenarios, but for 90 of of issues that you're gonna have with audio or just taking your existing a microphone. Is it, it's an app? Is it a plugin? I'll show you. Yeah, you the will. link will be as well in the description yeah, if legend. you guys wanna Thank have you. a uh, have a look at it. But honestly, game changing mm. uh, tools. So, I'm curious as well. What are some of the traits or things that you took from being a pro level athlete? was your podcasting game um i think just discipline discipline and consistency like i'd pretty much have done two years up until this christmas break that just passed without missing two episodes a week and three episodes a week for 12 months of that so i think consistency it's just like training with surfing i'd always make sure i do it's just showing up most people like if you show up you're ahead of 90 percent of the competition if you consistently show up you're ahead of so many people. So I think that's been one of the biggest ones for me. And then just like constantly searching for improvements. Okay, that bit of content works well. Oh, that person's looks really good. Maybe I'll take what they're doing, but put my spin on it. Okay, that person's doing this really well. I'll take that just like surfing. I'd watch other people's stuff and go, oh, they're doing that maneuver like that. Maybe I can add that to my repertoire. So I think just always being open-minded and curious and knowing that you're never where you need to be, but also being happy with where you are. It's quite a bit of a balance. And once again, I'll give you another thing that I've learned from this sad guru guy. Um, recently he talks about so many of us have one eye on the future, looking to our goals and we're going to be looking there and one eye on the present, but life's only happening in the present. You're missing half of what's going on. If you've got one eye out there and one eye here, you're missing half of what's going on in the present. So set your goals, take some time to know what they are and have them up there, but then two eyes on the present and be really present in your conversations that you have, the work that you're doing every single day, and then the goals will happen rather than so many of us are just distracted looking up before we actually take the time to be in the present. So yeah, I think just being consistent has been a huge one with the podcast and then just always looking for those marginal gains. 100% man and what I will add to that is the showing up when you don't feel like it because I've the, had so many episodes that it's been like eight o'clock at night the night before I'm like fuck I need to put out that one percent episode 15 minute episode all right I'll just record it and do it or I'll not do it and then the next morning I'll wake up and feel so guilty that it didn't come out at 5 a.m for my audience and I'll put it up at nine and in my mind that's like such a fuck up I don't know if I can swear on here but and yeah. in my mind I'm like but it's in this grand scheme of things, not really. I still get it out on that day, but it's just, yeah, trying to show up every time can be tough. So, yeah, I took my first, like, two weeks off and I felt, like, so weird. Mm -hmm. It felt like, yeah, I felt so out of routine by not having to do those consistent podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can manage to show up when it sucks, when it's that you haven't set up your gear and you you know you have to put some time into setting up the space when you know you're going to have to put a little bit of work you know to do the editing and then distribute the thing when you're maybe just struggling it's just being a hard day in your life specifically you got some bad news and whatever if you can show up in those difficult 
days, you will be unstoppable. Mm. That's what I do every day. I just show up, yeah. literally don't care how cold it is, how difficult it is, how much shit it is on the play. I will show up. Mm -hmm. I will be that guy that yeah. life will look at it. Like, Fuck this guy again. Shoes and they'll throw me some shit and I'll come back five minutes mm. later. You know, I mean, and hell, I'm super lucky. Like I love what I do. My podcast is a privilege. Really, I get to speak to incredible people about their life journey, and then I make friends with them. So it's, I mean, if I'm complaining about that, like there's not many jobs that I'm going to go and love doing. And I mean, <laughs> I used to dig holes for years to fund my career. So those days where I'm like, oh, got that podcast fire. I forgot about that Zoom one I'm doing with that guy in the UK and it's at 7 p.m. instead of a morning one. But it's like, why am I complaining? Like, would I rather be doing something else, working, packing boxes at Coles? No, no, not that there's anything wrong with that. But for me, what I'm passionate about, I'm doing that every day. So that definitely helps with the showing up. But like you said, there is those days where you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I don't have to do it. I get to do it. What are three things you wish you knew before starting a podcast? Ooh, three things I wish I knew before starting a podcast. I mean, when I first started, I wish I was doing video content at the very beginning. That would have, ex it would, I got into the podcast game, not early, but definitely earlier than a lot of people because ever since COVID, everything's just spiked. I launched in May, 2020. So right when COVID hit, Pretty good timing, but there wasn't that many out there then. And I was just doing audiogram content. If I was doing video content back then and I saw it earlier, I probably would have had a bigger spike in growth in that early stage. Um, so that's one thing, like doing video content from earlier. <laughs> so my first 20 episodes, I had one microphone, no microphone stands, and I would hold it to my chin, ask a question, and then hold it to the other person's chin. <laughs> I shit you not. Yeah. yeah, so that was my first, like, 20 episodes. And then I got – no, I didn't even get mic stands. I got my second mic before I got mic stands. Yeah. It's so funny. These things that cost, like, 30 bucks on Amazon, Nothing, It's yeah. it, I waited, like – like a year before I even had mic stands. And then I had like an episode with my friend Harley Clifford. He's like eight-time world champ wakeboarder. Yeah. And it's so funny. I'd started doing video content, but I didn't have mic stands. And I literally, because he was like moving the microphone around a lot. <laughs> so I put like a bunch of towels on the table and sat the microphone on top of it. And I was like, okay, I need to get mic stands now because yeah. this looks so stupid, the content with uh, just like a towel. Um, but yeah, so, so getting like mic stands and the yeah. equipment. But all this stuff, like it's not necessarily right at the start. I think starting is like the most important thing. But yeah, there's two tips. I don't know, another one. I think another one is, and this is something I still need, like advice that I need to take now, and this is a kind of a luxury that I have. I need to be more strategic with my guests. Like I've got the luxury now that if I reach out to 10 people who might not even know who I am but are quite high profile, with a bit of a profile myself, the guests that I've had on that I can leverage off their names, I'll probably get three or four of them come back and say yes to come on. So if I spend a bit of time planning and strategizing and building a strategy for the podcast for the year, I could probably get on way bigger name guests than I do. Not that I don't, like, don't get me wrong. I speak to some of the most incredible people ever. Like I'm speaking to a gold medalist Olympian later this afternoon. Um, yeah, heaps of really cool people. But if I actually strategized and reached out to people, I could probably get even more on. So that would be probably something like actually planning and building a bit more strategy into my year, which is something I'm trying to do this year. I'm about to do like a 14 week, um, 
little block around running because I'm going to run 100 kilometers in May. So, yeah, just having a bit of a strategy and direction with the podcast is probably something I would have done, which I had at the start. And then it kind of went, oh, I don't want to just talk to surfers and athletes. I want to talk to everyone. So it kind of went out the door. And now I just get so many people every day messaging, asking to come on the podcast that I do say yes to a lot of them because I find it really hard to say no to some people. <laughs> um, but I say yes to a lot, but that's taking away from me getting like these guests that I really want to talk to. So it's just about finding that balance and um, yeah, having a bit more planning and strategy. 100% and strategy is if, if I had to pinpoint one thing that makes most people quit or not seeing results of just think that, oh, this, this thing just doesn't work for me, they don't have a strategy. They don't have a plan. They don't have a blueprint of what they're trying to achieve and reverse engineer it of, okay, if this is what we want in one year, two years, five years, 10 years, how are we going to get there and put a clear action and set boundaries as well? Because that's what starts happening. Mm -hmm. If you start having success with your podcast at the beginning, if, if you're just doing a podcast and you know, you're not taking it very seriously. Most people won't really be reaching out to be on your podcast. But as you take it seriously, as you start posting online about it, short form clips, and people see the benefits, you start getting pretty insane, even for ourselves. Like the podcast is something that we do for our own experimentation because I just love podcasting so much. Been doing it for many years, build a podcast just like, dude, you know, early days in Spanish to hundreds of thousands of downloads, you know, and then eventually just put it away because I, I wasn't able to do it in at the level that I wanted in here. I was meeting all these really cool people like mm. you, but the podcast was in Spanish. So it was like, oh, I can't really have it. So eventually just transitioned to the creative grid, which is still pretty fresh. But because we do it at a very high level, we get inquiries all the time for people to be in there. Because and they want to use the clips. Everyone wants exactly. clips of themselves. Everyone the wants exposure. Everyone wants yeah. to show that, hey, I've been in, on, you Once know, high-level yeah. podcasts and visually that looks good, all these things. But then you can get yourself into that hole where you're just taking people that have zero connection to the goal that you have, to the audience that you have. And it's, yeah, to a level, you want to have those conversations, you find it interesting, but is it helping the long-term vision of the podcast? Is it better getting that time and putting it into finding someone that you're really dying to talk to or that will be a high-profile guest for the pod? You know, so it's just one of those things that you, as you get some success, if you don't have a clear strategy that when you, cause it also becomes really cool. Like, oh, look how many people are texting yeah. to be on the podcast. But then when you have a plan, it's like, okay, okay, wait, let's just make decisions based on our plan and where mm -hmm. we're trying to go. You look at your list, is this person fit the, the goals of the podcast? Well, if it's no, you probably have to say no, mm. which as well is a skill, right? Like, yeah, you gotta say no. hard. Like <laughs> I just put together a list of people I want to speak to in Melbourne and there's like 15 people in that. And then I put together a list of people I want to speak in Sydney and there's like 15 people in that. And I'm like, for a 50 episode, 52 episode year, there's like almost half of my stuff done before like anyone on the Gold Coast or Britain, like yeah. there's so many people yeah. to talk yeah. to. And then on top of that, getting guests that I've had on before back on all my yeah. like- Second friends. round. Yeah, so it's, like, it's super just, fun. By the so, way. Yeah, exactly, which I'm starting to do a bit more of this year because I've spoken to so many people who since I spoke to them have won world titles, have yeah. gone to Olympics, have yeah. won Commonwealth Games medals. So I'm like, I got to re-get back on all these people. So now it's like, yeah, going to, okay, maybe two guest episodes a week because I've got so many, but I need to get someone to edit if I'm going to do that. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard because now I've got like all these different PR agencies mm. that I've said yes to one or two people they've sent to me and now they send me like 
one or two people a week and I've got like five or six different PR agencies, people from America, yeah. people from like Europe, um, a few different ones in Australia that manage athletes. Like I get fed so yeah, many people, so which many it's people. it's so hard to say no. Yeah. And like right now I'm pretty much, because I've got this 14-week um, thing coming up starting Feb 14 in like three weeks from when we're recording this, I'm going to be blocked out of guests until the middle of May. Yep. So anyone who comes to me now, I'm like, yeah, but we're going to have to wait till you know, June, if you want to come out. And that's like, usually a lot of people, that's what I quite often say to people, which is the truth is like, yeah, I'm keen, but I'm backed up for like four months right now, yeah. round back to me in four months. And then you get four months later and I've still got another four yeah. months. Back up. It's <laughs> really tough. things come as well on the plate. So you're like, yeah. oh, we need to wait again. Yeah. But yeah. And then the thing, like the podcast is like, I'd say like 15% of my business, 15% of my time. So that's like, yeah, it's just hard to juggle. <clears throat> Part of me juggle and work out where to put the time and if it's going to like come back on revenue. And it's just like such a dance really with everything. But to be honest, like I keep coming back to you. Like I just love getting to sit down and have these great chats with interesting people. You mentioned about your values. What are your values? So, I mean, in my keynote, I talk about five values that I'm like, if I live to these five values my mental health will take care of itself because I'm a mental health speaker. And my big key message is like, I'm not a mental health expert, but I'm here to talk to you and hopefully convince you and change your perspective of what mental health is. Because most of the time we say to someone, oh, I'm here to talk about mental health. And they go, oh, this guy's going to talk about depression, anxiety, suicide. But that's mental illness. You go to the hospital, oh, I'm going to go see a mental health nurse. No, you're going to go see a mental illness nurse, even though they call themselves mental health nurse. It's like, no, once we change the language, we might start changing the statistics because when we start all looking at ourselves like, oh, I've got mental health, 80% of us, well, 100% of us have mental health, but 80% of us don't have a mental illness. 20% of us at any time in Australia will be diagnosed with a mental illness. So quite often when you go in to talk to people about mental health, they go, oh, it's not for me. So the way that I try and talk about mental health is that we all have it. So we should all be doing some stuff to take care of it. So then I base it on if we're living to daily values, daily habits, our mental health kind of just takes care of itself. So the five values I talk about, the first one's responsibility, which is our ability to respond. Are you going to play the victim or the hero when a challenging time comes up in your life? For instance, for me, when I lost my sponsor, I could have gone one way or the other. And don't get me wrong, I definitely had the victim um, mentality for quite a bit there. But then it started to turn back over to, okay, what am I going to do about this? All right, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do that. Okay, what can I do to change my own situation? So step one's responsibility. First thing is awareness. And then the second thing is action. Awareness that we can change our situation and then action to change it. The second value I talk about is gratitude. Gratitude something that is super important to me. Ever since I was a little kid, my dad always said to me, appreciation, not expectation, Cooper. Appreciation, not expectation. And gratitude is just focusing our thoughts and energy on the things that we've got rather than the things that we don't. We can always have bigger. We can always have better. We can always have more. But the real trick in life is when we can focus our thoughts and energy on what we've already got. And that's something that I practice every single day. Every night I write three things I'm grateful for from that day just to go, oh, yeah, there is some good things going on every single day. We can choose to focus on the negative or the positive. And, yeah, I really try and focus on the positive. So that's gratitude. The third one I talk about is empathy. I think empathy is a trait that we should all have, being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes and understanding if you see somebody do something that you don't agree with, instead of 
judging them or getting angry at them going, I wonder why they're doing that. I wonder what they're going through and what their um, situation is for them to be acting like that. And that's what empathy is, just taking a step back, taking a breath before we judge and going, I wonder why these people are acting the way that I don't agree with. I wonder what they're upbringing. I wonder what their situation, self-beliefs, values are for them to act like this. And generally hurt people hurt people. If you see someone who's an angry, upset, doing something you don't agree with, it's usually a reflection on how they're feeling themselves. So empathy is super important. Um, the next one's mindfulness. I think mindfulness is a practice that we should all do every day, whether it be something like meditation as a practice or just being more mindful in general, focusing on what we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel, focusing on the present moment. So many of us are looking at what's going on in the past, what's going on in the future, that we're actually not living here in the present moment. So mindfulness is something that I really try and work on every day, connecting with my breasts and being really present. And the last one is kindness. The more I learn about kindness when it comes to the data and um, statistics around it and all the studies that they have now to show that kinder people are happier people. And through that, I'm like, okay, how do we actively practice kindness? So I break it into three categories, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, and being kind to the environment. And by doing all three of these things every single day, it raises my own well-being because when we're kind to somebody else, it makes us feel good. It releases serotonin and oxytocin in our own brain and floods these chemicals and makes us feel good. So by being kind to myself, it's trying to live to those daily habits, hit those full potential, doing breath work, meditation, all these things that I know are good for me, but I'm actually doing them. Being kind to others obviously is a really important one, whether it be giving a stranger a smile when you go get served at the service station and you pay for your petrol, don't just tap and walk away, go, oh, thank you so much. I hope you have a really nice day. These little interactions that we have every day can completely change our day. And then lastly, being kind to the environment is something that I used to, like I touched on earlier, be so entrenched in external validation. I'd pick rubbish up. I'd look around and anyone see me do it before I threw it in the bin. It was ego driven. It was external validation driven. Now, I know being kind to the environment truly matters to me. It's a value that's important to me and it should be important to everyone listening right now. So now I pick up rubbish on the street, on the beach and throw it in the bin. I couldn't care less if anyone sees me do it. It makes me feel good because I'm being kind to the environment. So yeah, they're five pretty simple values that everyone knows about, but I encourage you try and maybe integrate them into your life a little bit more. Really, I love the energy. That, that, that's what I really love about what you just did, explaining this in such a passionate way. I think this could inspire a lot of people and, and that, that makes me so happy and completely agree with all the values that you have and especially having, I, I call them in a way rituals. So little things that I could, I can always rely on in order to keep propelling myself forward, regardless of if, when it, like, if I have a really terrible day today, let's say that everything went to shit, whatever. I can always say I still woke up at 5 a.m. I still smash a workout and today I did my ass spot. So it's having those little things which could be gratitude, could be meditation, could be breath work, but something that you can always rely on to keep your yourself nice. sharp mm. and keep yourself in the game and just moving forward and feeling like, you know what? Everything can go bad today because it will happen. Oh, Everyone has a really bad day coming ahead, whether it's losing a family member, your business struggling, having to do a, a big money investment or expense that you weren't accounting for. And it comes back to what's your ability to respond to that bad day? Exactly. Exactly. How would you show up? How are you going to take? Yeah, are you going to get really angry? Are you going to get really sad? Or are you going to go, 
okay, now I'm going to go to my breath. Okay, now I'm going to kind of ride this wave a bit more consistent. Yeah, being being extremely aware of how you mm. are reacting to things. Yeah, self-awareness is massive. Absolutely. What is one thing that most people don't know about Cooper? <laughs> one thing that most people don't know about me. Different angles I could take this. Maybe that I used to play pretty good golf. I used to have a handicap of like six in golf. <laughs> it's kind of fun that most people don't know. Yeah, I, I do love playing golf. I don't get to play as much anymore, but that was um, when I used to get paid to surf. I had a bit of free time when the waves were bad, so I played a lot of golf. But once that sponsor disappeared, so did the time to play golf because I was spending it digging holes. But, yeah, I used to be able to hit a golf ball pretty good. Three pieces of advice that you will give to your younger self, let's say your 20-year-old, in order to live a, a more fulfilling life, make more money, and just be happier overall? I think the first one, I didn't learn this till I was like 24, which I learned it earlier, is this quote, the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. So often we're waiting until we feel confident before we make the action, but it comes the other way around. So it kind of comes off the back of the fake it till you make it kind of saying, but it's not even faking it. It's actually being like, you know what? If I want to get up on this stage and speak really well by being nervous and scared is not going to give me the best chance to do it. If I get up there and own it and you go, you know what? I'm just going to act like I know what I'm doing. The audience will believe it. And then I start to believe it. So that quote, the act of confidence comes before the feeling is a yeah, really good one. Um, what other bits of advice? I think just not taking things personally practicing your values from a younger age and understanding, okay, the world's not against you. Everyone's just doing their thing and having a bit more empathy. I think that was something that I probably lacked a little bit at 20. Um, and what else? What other bit of advice would I give to myself? I'd probably give to myself to read more books and like practice gratitude and meditation every day. It's stuff that I haven't done until the last three years and it's profoundly changed my life. So actually doing those different tips and tricks that you get taught at 18, 19, 20, 21, actually starting to action them and take responsibility, not just hear them and think, oh, it's not for me. It's like actually put a bit of time and effort into those things that we get taught quite early. Most of us are exposed to actually trying to action that stuff because yeah, there was many years that I didn't do a lot of these healthy habits, I guess you'd call them, that I knew about. Whereas now it's actually trying to keep that clear responsibility and that extreme ownership, yeah, it's been a big one. Especially the reading one. I wish I started reading way younger Me than too. what I did. And I'm trying to catch up with all the information yeah. that is out there for very cheap, sometimes for even for free, from people that have gotten to, in some ways, to the places that you're trying to go or achieve certain things that you're trying to achieve. Reading has been one of the best things I've ever implemented for myself. For sure. What is the worst piece of advice you have ever received? Oh, the worst. Okay, here you go. I, um, <laughs> so one of my team managers for one of the brands that I work for, I went out to dinner when I was like 18 with a few of the kind of international managers and heads of the business from overseas. And we went out to a dinner, I was like a bit of a grom and I tried to like tell a story and I kind of got like lost in the story. We'd had a few drinks and I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot where I was going with this and just stopped. And then on the drive home, that team manager was like, dude, you're pretty shit at telling stories. You probably shouldn't try and tell stories at dinners like that anymore. 
So that was probably the worst bit of advice I got, telling me I was shit at telling stories and now I'm like a professional speaker and like podcaster. So I think that bit of advice was the worst bit. I mean, it wasn't even really advice. I think it was more so it was a statement that I took to heart, which probably slowed me down for a few years, but then it also gave me drive and motivation to kind of go against it. So maybe it was the worst and the best bit of advice I got. (laughs) That is a really good one. Haven't heard anything like that before. (laughs) And opposite to that, what's the best piece of advice someone has given to you? I think that act of confidence comes before the feeling. I come back to a lot. I got it told to me at, um, we did like a training camp for the Olympics for surfing. When they first announced surfing is going to be in the Olympics in Tokyo in three years, I was, um, yeah, kind of in the top 10 male surfers in Australia. So I got invited to this training camp and at that training camp, we had a guy, Dean Morrison from here on the Gold Coast, ex-pro surfer, Dingo. And he was talking a story about surfing big waves and he was like i just love this thing um and it's actually from this book called the confidence gap by russ harris really interesting um book and my sports site got me onto it but yeah he said the act of confidence comes before the feeling and someone's like how do you throw yourself over the ledge when it's 15 foot at chopu and he goes i literally just act like i know what i'm doing and then if i'm fearful and nervous then i'm not going to commit and then i've got more chance of falling when i give 100% and act confident it gives me the best chance of completing that wave and then i just morph that into different parts of my life and when i get up on stage to speak when i'm speaking to a big podcast guest just owning it acting like you know what you're doing and then quite often that feeling comes and i took it from his sort of surfing analogy of paddling over the ledge at a 20 foot wave not thinking about the consequences just thinking about what you have to do in that moment and acting like you know what you're doing and then the outcome has more chance of being positive than it does if you're kind of a bit nervous and flustered going into something. I love that piece of advice because I have found in my own life experience to be absolutely true. Mm. Anytime I have committed to something and just fake it till you make it or just pretend that I know what I'm doing and just putting almost like a a mask, you know, like, okay, Mm. now I'm going to pretend that I'm this really high level podcaster or filmmaker all in those early days just gave me much better chances of having a positive outcome every single time. Yeah, Owning it, embodying what you're trying to become, it's just gonna increase the chances of you actually becoming successful at it. Yeah. My my final question to you is where, it's, it's been five years, we're having this conversation again where is the good, the good humans podcast? Where is Cooper? What's happening? Five years. Um, I'd like to see myself standing on some big stages at conferences, getting to share the different learnings that I've had through the different podcast experts I speak to through my own continuing learning um, and getting better at presenting. I mean, I've been quite lucky the last, I mean, not lucky, but I've had a few pretty cool opportunities the last few years and spoken on stage for Apple, Amazon, Telstra, McDonald's, Red Bull. So I'm starting to build some big corporate clients. So I'd love to turn it into a bit more consistent sort of program work and really try and help people with improving their mental health through living by these healthy values, through implementing different daily habits. Um, the podcast, hopefully just still going consistently. I mean, obviously growth would be incredible to be able to attract more sponsors and attract bigger guests, but yeah, I think there's just so many incredible stories to talk to. So I hope I'm still doing the podcast frequently, maybe not having to edit and do it all and have a studio would be amazing in five years. 
Um, and yeah, I can really see my merch that I do and the communities that I've built growing into something pretty special. I know that so far I've built what I have in the last three years kind of completely by myself. I've just got my first staff member to put some strategy and planning in place and a bit of help with a lot of back-end stuff, which I've been a bit not lazy with, but I've just been juggling so much. So hopefully over the next 12 to 18 months, I can start to really grow the business. And then, yeah, who knows where it could be in five years. I'd love to be running some big events myself and just trying to encourage people to unleash their own potential. Love that. We'll keep you accountable as well now that we know. <laughs> Brother, where can people find you, support you, listen to the podcast? Um, for the podcast, just on, actually not on YouTube, but you've inspired me to put it. I mean, I've got all the video and the audio. All I need to do is This export. blows my mind. I know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, did, I, did do, I did do a, well, I just put out so many episodes on YouTube and I'd get like 50 views and I'm like, this isn't worth my waste of time, but I just need to keep doing it. And one of them will actually start going like, YouTube's hard. I've like put out so much good, I invested like, followed myself to like, my friend winning a world title, wakeboarding, filmed the whole like BTS, a friend doing the first ever triple flip on a motorbike in a competition, filmed all the BTS, made these, filmed myself um, doing this incredible event in Sydney called Humankind with like Wim Hof ice baths and all this stuff. And they'd get like 250 views on YouTube. So I'm like, I spent all this money to try and grow my YouTube and it just like wasn't working. So I do need to get back on the consistency and maybe the um, shorts train, but you've inspired me to do that. So Main thing for the podcast, just go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, search Good Humans with Cooper Chapman. You can find all of that there. Um, my social media is just at Cooper Chapman, at Cooper Chapman underscore on TikTok, I think. Um, and then thegoodhumanfactory.com if you want to learn more about the workshops I do, learn more about the merch and the communities I've built. And, yeah, just on Instagram and TikTok, I think, just the Good Human Factory is um, where you can find all that stuff. But, yeah, man, I appreciate coming on, having a chat, getting to go on a few different tangents. I don't usually get to go too deep into the podcast stuff, so it was um, fun to hopefully share with the audience a little bit of my insight of building a podcast completely by yourself and not having to use all the glitz and glamour that does come now with a lot of podcast creation, obviously, like the work that you do, which is amazing, but just to show people that, you don't have to do that. Try not to take away from your business maybe, but just showing people not that if you want to get started, you can do it by yourself. Like I had no um, education in editing or anything. I kind of just like we used to edit a few surf clips and then use that skill to edit a few podcasts. And now like all I can do is edit a podcast. Anything else I'm shit at editing, but I can get a podcast out. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who's tuned in. Make sure, yeah, if you like this episode, send me a message on Instagram. I'm always keen to give advice to anyone who's keen to learn a bit more. Yeah, awesome, man. And I'm really stoked that we had this conversation. I'm pretty sure this will inspire someone out there that has been sitting down on the idea. And just like you said, like, we don't we don't care, right? Like, we're, we're here to serve people. But I care more about people starting podcasts because I know I've seen it so many times for myself, for, for clients and for even high-level people, how beneficial it can be, not only for their business, but for the overall life, connections, networking. We get all the time people coming, you know, saying how they were inspired by certain conversation I was having with someone, someone that tells me, man, your podcast changed my life or, or this one thing is what I needed to hear that day to go take action. So I just want more people, more businesses to start podcasts because I know how powerful they are across every single area of your life. It's, it's extremely difficult to measure how much benefit you get afterwards. 
Of course, we want to help a ton of businesses and people to do that at the highest level. But for us, it's more important that people get started. And eventually, once you hit a roadblock or you don't know how to continue to do this thing and you have proven yourself that this is something that you want to do, hey, we can help you take everything now to the big leagues, to the the highest level. And that's so, the thing, yeah. even just starting, like you might learn, hey, this isn't for me. I'm not that good exactly. at speaking to people, exactly. but you won't have in the back of your head. Oh, I really want to, maybe I should, maybe I should. It's like that anticipation is the yep. thing that just eats away at you. Yep. So just start, do a few episodes. You might be terrible at talking or you might be way better than you think and go, okay, yeah, I do want to do this. So I think just starting and getting over that hump is so important. Yeah, crucial. But hope you enjoy this conversation. If you want us to get more extremely high-level guests like Mr. Chapman here, make sure to subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the links are down below. We're on every social media platform at the Creator Grid, at Creator Nelson, and I'll see you on the next episode. Good vibes for everyone. My goal for this podcast is to help 1 million creative entrepreneurs make more money, have more impact, and create their ultimate reality. The best way for you to support this mission is by sharing the podcast with anyone you think will find it valuable. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow us on all social media platforms at The Creative Grid and at Creator Nelson. I will see you at the top.